Thank you everyone who's joining us. It's really a pleasure to be here and a privilege. I'm very happy that I was invited. Um, so I was asked to say just a few words about myself. Um, so I'm, I was born in Israel, I'm Israeli, uh, but I was born very far away from Judaism. Um, basically all the hair that you see on the front of my face was used to be on the back of my head. Um, and I, so I grew up in a, my father called my home an ultra orthodox, um, secular home. Um, so I, I, that's my, that was my starting point and it was a very interesting home and it was full of culture and very, you know, open to the, to the world, to the winds of the world. And, um, and my father was a traveler. The, the house was full of artifacts from all over the world. But uh, there was no Judaism. And in fact, there was, if there was anything, there was a lot of anti-Jewish sentiment. Uh, but then I started on a, on a long journey, as many, many people in our, in our generation. And, and Baruch Hashem, the journey is still going on. Um, I didn't, um, you know, it wasn't through, you know, drugs or meditation or going to India or something exotic. Uh, I was just studying in the, in the university and I happened to, was fortunate enough to meet some very interesting people and very intelligent people. And gradually my, my, uh, my head was open. My head and my heart began to open up to the beauty and wonder of, of the Torah, of Judaism. And, um, and now I'm trying to do my best to, um, use the fact that I was, I was born and raised, um, far away from outside of Judaism. And clearly this was no error. This was no mistake. So my, my first question in many ways to Hashem was, why did you make it so that for the first 26 years of my life, I will be, uh, I will grow up completely outside of Judaism? And the answer was that I need to, I need to be there uh, in order to do some translating. And the translating is interpreting, connecting, bridging the two worlds of Judaism and modern secular culture. And that's what I try to do in my classes. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the meaning of the month of Av, which we have just entered yesterday. And we want to understand the meaning of the word Av and the meaning of the month Av, and especially how um, the properties, the uh, characteristics of the month bear upon the, the very important day within Av, which is the ninth day of Av, the day of the Chorban, of the destruction of the two temples. And of course, how do we, uh, how do we come out of that? How do we rebuild the temples? How do, we, how do we rebuild ourselves, the Jewish people? Um, so it's very famous that um, the sages say, Chazal say, av Once the month of Av enters, opens, we need to uh, diminish uh, our sense of joy, not to be so, so joyful. Uh, and what's also quite known, but maybe less known, is the Hasidic take on this sentence, on this notion. For, for Hasidim, 
you should always be happy. You should serve Hashem with happiness, with joy all the time. There's no such thing as you should be less joyful. How can we, how can we accept this? So they say, they take this phrase, Mema'atin besimcha, which literally means uh, have fewer or uh, diminish or make smaller the amount of joy. And they say, when, when Av comes in, you should, we should be mema'atin, we should diminish. What should we diminish? Sadness, anger, hatred, all the klipot, all the external shells that cover our hearts, that cover our ears and eyes. And we should do so with joy. Mishenichnas av mema'atin, we diminish. We diminish everything that's negative, and we do so with joy. So either way, we're still, nothing has changed. We're always joyful. And in fact, I have a friend who, whenever it's the first day of Av, he starts singing, Mishe, 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 Mishe. And he goes on and says, Mishe nichnas Av, Mema atin besimcha. So that's a great new minhag that uh, you can all adopt from now on. Uh, just to show that we're, we're always happy. It doesn't matter if it's Adar or it's Av. We're, Jews are always, should always be happy. And we should, we should try and adopt a very positive, optimistic view of everything, even the negative aspects, even the things that have to do with exile and with destruction. That's what we want to do today. So let's start by looking a little bit at the, at the word Av, the word, the name of the month. So it's a very short name. It's two letters long. And it's not just two letters long. It's the first two letters of the Hebrew alphabet, right? It's Aleph and Bet. It's the first combination of two letters possible in the, in the Hebrew language. Um, the, we, can, we, can, we can do Aleph and Aleph, but that doesn't mean anything. And it's, there's no connection of two different letters here. The first two letters that create a word would be Aleph Bet, and they create the, the word Av, Father. Aleph is one, the numerical value of Aleph is one, the numerical value of Bet is two. We can say that each one of us, we have our first person perspective. That's the one, that's the Aleph. Each one of us is an Aleph. We say I and me, that's my Aleph, that's who I am. That's the first thing I can experience is I know who I am. And then the two, the Bet, that's the other person. The other person is the Bet. He's the second person, as in language, second person. You, when I address you, you are the second person in my life, whoever it is that I'm talking to. Together, if you put one and two together, you get three. Three would now be the third person. Who is the third person? The ultimate third person. That would be HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He, the Almighty One. He, the Kadosh Baruch Hu, the third partner in creating life. When life is created, there's the first partner, then the second partner, it's the, the, main, the man and the woman, and the third partner who gives the soul, that's Hashem. And that he is the father, he is the Av. So Av is a combination of Aleph, which is Ani, which is me, and Bet, which is the second person, which is you. And together it's three, and it's the word Av, and, that's, and that, that would be Hashem. Now, this, the, the, this combination of two letters, Aleph and Bet, is also very interesting because it's the root, or we can even say the meta root, because in Hebrew, all roots have three letters, but roots have roots also have roots. And really, each three-letter root in Hebrew comes from, stems from, an even more primordial or basic two-letter root. 
So all the letters combined together create two letter roots. Av would be the first two letter root. And very interestingly, uh, two basic words that are completely opposite come out of this one original first meta root av. The one is the, is the, 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 is the verb ahav, le'ehov, to love, right? Ohev is lover. Ahuv is someone who's loved. And another word that's very similar, very close, uh, we accept the word, besides the word ahava, we can, right next to it, we can place the word eiva. Eiva is the opposite of ahava. Eiva is one of the Hebrew words for hatred. Oyev is an enemy. Ohev and Oyev are very, very similar, very close. It's just one letter apart. They both come from this root av, both ahava and eva, both ohev and oyev. Ohev and oyev is what you would use in Hebrew when you're, for what in English you would ask, is he a friend or a foe? So friend or foe in Hebrew would be ohev and oyev. So apparently there's something about the, the, the month of av and the name of av that puts us, places us right in the crossroads choosing whether we, th- we see the other person, right? Because Av is Aleph and Bet, me and you, first person and second person. How do we treat the other person? Do we see him as a Ohoev or as a Oyev? So uh, that's the first thing to look at. And we're, 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 I'm just placing a few facts, a few characteristics for Av, and then we'll put them all together. The second interesting thing about Av is that the first day of Av yesterday, it was Shabbat yesterday, Aleph Av is the Yorzeit, the day of passing of Aharon HaKohen, Aharon the priest. In fact, it's the only Yorzeit mentioned explicitly in the Torah. We don't know, according to the written Torah, when Moses, Moshe, Rabbeinu passed away, we have a, a, we know from Chazal, it was Zayn Adar, same as his birthday, but it doesn't say so explicitly. We know the month in which Miriam passed away, we know it was Nisan, but we don't know which day it was. Again, it's, we have traditions, but it doesn't say so explicitly. Aharon is the only person in the Torah that we know what their Yorzeit is. And in fact, it's not mentioned when he dies. He died in Parashat Chukat. And it would have made sense if then the Torah would have said that it was the first day of Av. But no, the Torah waited for the parasha Mas'ei, which is which was what we read yesterday. And then we're told that it was the first day of Av. So, of course, Aaron is very much connected to Ahava. We spoke about Ohev and Oyev, friend or foe, loved one or hated one. Uh, Aaron was the greatest lover. He was a lover of peace, and he was a chaser of peace. He wanted to chase peace, not just love peace when it came his way. Uh, when If things were peaceful, then he loved them. He would actively seek peace. He was a great lover, a lover of other Jews, a lover of, of other Jews being loving each other, helping them love each other, helping couples reunite, helping, helping friends reunite. So why is his Yorzeit mentioned in, in Mas'ei instead of in Chukat? Why did we read about it yesterday, several parashot after we read about his passing? 
So the answer that the Lubavitcher Rebbe gives is that Mas'e is read just, it coincides with the, with the three weeks of Ben HaMetzarim and with the actual, uh, the actual first day of the month of Av. In, in our year, it was actually the very same day because the, the Shabbat that we read, Parashat Mas'e, was actually the first day of Av. It's not always uh, exactly on the day, but it's always very close to that day. So the Rebbe says, when we are entering the month of Av, and the month in which the, the temple was destroyed because of sinat chinam, senseless hate, hate that had no purpose, no point, then we should all practice the very opposite, which is ahavat chinam. Ahavat chinam is senseless love, senseless acts of kindness. To love someone senselessly, even if they don't merit it, even if they don't, we they can't find anything good about them. We should love them. So we, on the first day of Av, we need to remember Aharon. And that's why we're, that's why the, his Yorset is explicitly mentioned. And we hear about it just as the first day of Av is actually coming. So that's another important, important thing about this. By the way, if you, if you take the, the word Aharon and you do the gematria, but you don't do the regular gematria, you do what is called small gematria. Small gematria is that if it's a, if it's, um, if it's a two-digit number, you just take away all the zeros. So Aleph is Aleph, it's one, and He is five, it's still He. But then Reish, which is 200, becomes just two. And Nun, which is 50, becomes just five. So if you narrow down Aharon to the basic gematria, the most basic gematria, you get Ahava. Because the first two letters are Aha, just as Ahava. And the second two letters narrow down Reish and Nun become Bet and He. So Aharon is all about Ahava. That's what he is about. Another element about Av is that according to Sefer Yetzirah, Book of Formation, which is the most fundamental book in Kabbalah, um, each month has a sense. There are 12 senses, not just five, not just six. There are 12 senses according to Sefer Yetzirah. And it's very interesting to, to know them. And they're they all help us very much get a deeper understanding of the Hebrew calendar, the Jewish calendar, each month. So five of them are the regular senses, and then the rest are unique senses. But uh, in the case of Av, it's one of the regular senses, it's the sense of hearing. Tammuz was about the sense of seeing, and Av is the sense of hearing. Moving from Tammuz to Av, we move from the sense of sight, which is looking at the, at the external appearance of things and trying to understand it, trying to, to, to get a good impression of things. We move from sight to hearing. Hearing is more internal than eyesight. If I see someone, I see their outside. And I can judge them by their cover, as we say, which is not a very good thing to do. Only once I start speaking to them and I start listening to them and hearing their voice do I get a glimpse of their inner world. Hearing is really listening to the inside of things. Even if you listen to music and you just listen to the outside of it, you're not really listening. You can also listen to someone speaking, but as you're listening, you're just, you're just waiting to give your uh, pre-prepared answer. That's not listening either. Listening, true listening rectifying the sense of hearing is listening to the inside of things. It's going beyond 
face appearances, which is again eyesight, to what's going on on the inside. And you have to listen. You have to truly listen. In Hebrew, we say lishma bekol mishu to hear to heed someone's voice. Then you can you can read it as lishma bekolo. What's within his voice? Lishma bekolo. It's not just listening to what he's saying. It's listening to what's inside his voice. That's true listening. This is what Avi is all about. So if we take all of these elements together, we see that the message of Av is that we need to listen to the other person. And through this listening, find that he is really a Ohev and not an Oyev. That even someone who appears to be an Oyev, an adversary, a foe, an enemy, I want to listen and I want to hear what's inside his voice. There has to be a spark of truth, a spark of godliness in his voice. I need to listen to it. By the way, another element of, of Av, just to put everything together, according to Sefer Yitzra, it's not just that each month has a sense, it's also that each month has a letter. The letter of Av is Tet. Tet, the ninth letter. Tet stands for Tuv, goodness, good. And the shape of the letter Tet is like a vessel with a, like an arrow, small arrow pointing on the inside. So according to Kabbalah, the meaning of Tet, just as a letter, just as an icon, is that it points to a hidden good. There is a hidden good in everything. Tet is the first letter of Tov or Tuv, and there's a little arrow, ten little line there that points to the inside of the vessel. So again, we have to listen to the other person, I'm the Aleph, he's the Bet. Together, only together can we create the Heavenly Father, the Av, the third person. And I have to listen to find the hidden good in the other person, and then he can become, from an enemy, from a foe, he can become, he can become a friend. So this, in many ways, is the art of hearing, or the art of listening, which we should say, because hearing is passive, and listening is active, and and we need to adopt active listening. And this is what Av is really all about. Av is not just hearing the other person or waiting for him to finish what he has to say, so I can say what I want to say. It's about pausing and actively listening, and actively, just like Aharon was Rodef Shalom, a chaser of peace, we need to actively seek the hidden goodness within our enemies or our adversaries. Anyone we have an argument with, it could be someone from our family that we maybe have a quarrel between us and we are, and we have a disagreement or maybe we stopped speaking. Maybe it's someone from, uh, from an opposite group within the Jewish people that they have uh, totally differing opinions and I can't see anything good about what they believe and what they think and I need to try and do so. Or it could be, um, it could be uh, just someone that I happen to dislike for some reason. And, and Av is a good opportunity to, to pause and, and reflect upon this and, and, and try and look at this from maybe another perspective. 
and listen more intently and more deeply into what they're about and what they're really trying to say. It could very well be that they're not expressing themselves very well. That's their problem. But my problem is that I'm not trying hard enough to listen beyond their uh, possibly crude or, or, or blatant or... Uh, you know, the the way that they're trying to express themselves, maybe they don't know how to do it so well. But it's again, that's not my job. My job is to try and listen beyond their words, even if they're not so wisely chosen. Sometimes I need to listen beyond their silence. If they're people who are silent, that they don't speak to me, then I need to I need to approach them and try and hear them. Maybe they need um, help expressing themselves. So, looking at this idea that Av is about the art of listening and the art of creating dialogue, really, because that's the, really the name of this class. It's Geula as dialogue, Mashiach as dialogue. Um, we can take this idea and look at the most famous story of one of the stories of this, of the, or, that, or, that surround the destruction of the temple. In several places in the Gemara, especially in, in the tractate Gitin, we have stories of destruction, Agadot HaChorban. And probably the most famous story is about Kamtsa and Bar Kamtsa. We now want to read the, just the beginning of this story and, and try and get a deeper understanding of it in light of everything we just, we just said. So let's first remember what's going on in the story of Kamta and Bar Kamta. So it starts with a certain person who's unnamed, could be anyone. And it is said that he had a good friend that he loved very much, whose name was Kamta. And he had another person that he hated, that his name was Bar Kamta. So first off, before we even go deeper into the story, we have exactly what we spoke about. We have this anonymous person who has a ohev, a loved one, and an oyev, a hated one. He's making this distinction. They're very similar names. One is called Bar Kamtsa, one is called Bar Kamtsa. Maybe the second person is the son of the first person. Who knows? We do know that his father had the same name as the, the first person. But it's unclear if they're related or not. But they have very similar names. And he really loves the first one and he really hates the second one. Um, what happens? He asks his servant. Interestingly, his servant does have a name. His servant is called Shma'aya. And Shma'aya has to do with hearing, the sense of Av. Again, very interesting connection. That's not usually pointed out. He tells his servant, I'm, I'm holding a big party. Please invite my good friend Kamta. So Shma'aya is the servant, and he goes and he makes a mistake. He goes into the home, of Bar Kamta. He asks, where is Kamta? Someone tells him the home, someone leads him to the home of Bar Kamta. He doesn't really care. He doesn't really notice those two letters. And he goes to Bar Kamta and invites him. Bar Kamta is very happy. He thinks maybe this other person is now, now wants to be my friend. So he comes to the party. The, the person inviting them to the party, he, he, he doesn't come in first. He wants to make an entrance. So all the guests are come in, and they're all seated. And at some point, once this host uh, decides it's time to make his entrance, he makes his entrance, he comes in, 
And he sees, he surveys all the different guests sitting in his party. And who does he see? Oh no, it's his nemesis, his enemy, his hated one, Barakamtsa. So he tells to Barakamtsa, and he, and he uses the third person, by the way. The third person we mentioned before could be something very high, could be Hashem, could also be a way of addressing someone with respect, like saying something like his his majesty, his highness, his head, and so on. Uh, but here, it's used in the very opposite sense. It's used as a, a as a, it's a very cold, detached way of addressing him. And he says, well, here is my enemy, Barakamtsa. Who is this but my enemy, Barakamtsa, sitting here? So he addresses him in the third person. This is interesting. The third person could be something very, very... It's almost like when you turn to a king or a queen and you say his or her majesty, you're using the third person. And really what you're doing is you're elevating, you're giving them some godly spark. That's really what you're doing because God, because kings are, are that's, the, that's what we, we believe, that they're appointed by God, by, by divine providence. So they have some godly spark that's maybe beyond other people. So you turn, by addressing them in the third person, it's like making them lofty. But we, can now, we now see in this story that the third-person language can also be used at the, the very opposite, to turn someone into an other, to, to, to push them away. He's an, he, I'm not addressing you in the second person, which is looking at you as a, you know, we know that Buber had this concept that he said you can treat the other person as an it or as a thou. So thou would be you, would be the second person. And here... He treats the second person, Balkamsa's enemy, not as a thou, but as an it, which is a very negative thing. So he turns to us, who is here but my enemy, Balkamsa? And says, please go out, get out of here. So it's just in front of everyone. So Balkamsa says, please, I am willing to pay for the meal, but don't push me away. And he says, no, go out. And he says, I'm willing to pay more, and he increases the amount that he's willing to pay, and and the host is unforgiving, and ultimately he says, go out. And Balkamsa comes out very humiliated, and then he says, all the most important people in Jerusalem, this is all taking place in Jerusalem, all the most important people in Jerusalem were there, and they did not object. None of them raised their, their voice, and spoke and said, this is, this is not fair, this is not appropriate, this is not polite, and, and come on, let him stay. No one said anything, they were all quiet. So I'm going to take my revenge on all of them. And then he goes to the Caesar of Rome, and he, and he really starts convincing him that the, the Jewish people are rebelling against him, and he really causes the C- Caesar, the, the emperor, the Roman Empire, to go and attack the Jewish people. This is the story. It's a longer story, it's more complicated, but that's the beginning of the story. So, we want to now go a little bit deeper into the story and the names. We don't have the name of the host, we do have the names of the two people, the friend and the foe, and we do have the name of the servant. So let's look at what he says here. So, just yesterday, I, I came across this very interesting essay by an Israeli Rav called Shimon Klein, and he gave a very original explanation for the names Kamsa and Bar Kamsa, which I never came across. 
So he says, what does it mean Kamtsa? Kamtsa, Kamtsa the Aleph at the end, that's just an Aramaic uh, suffix. Every, all, many Aramaic, all male Aramaic uh, nouns end with the Aleph. So what is Kamatz? Kamat is a verb, and the verb means to close down tightly. That's likmutz. And for the example, the priest, in one of the works that the priest does in the temple, is that he takes some incense and he he he's doing a kmitza with his hands. One of the fingers is called the kmitza. Because you could you close down something. A famous word, the most famous Hebrew word that uses this uh, uh, root is kamtsan. Kamtsan was someone who's cheap, miserly. Why? Because he's, he closes his hands. So even the the nikud, kamatz, which is pronounced as either u or o, is called this way because the lips become uh, closed and condensed when you go o or u, as opposed to patach, which is another nikud, which is a, and then the lips are opened. So kamat means to close. So here's this Rabbi Shimon Klein's interpretation. Very beautiful. It goes like this. It says, Kamta was someone who became consciously, he consciously closed himself up to one perspective. He had a few perspectives. He lived in a, in a generation that you could see many, many, could, there was a lot of arguments about what is the right path to go in Judaism, or maybe it was Hillel versus Shammai, it could have been many, many things. And he listened to all the opinions, and he says, I'm going in this direction, and that's, and that's what I'm, and, and I'm closing myself up. You know, sometimes it's a good thing to close yourself up, because sometimes you need to make up your mind, and you need to take a side in an argument. It's a good thing. Sometimes that's what you need to do. So, but, but the thing is that Kamta had a choice. Kamta listen to all the opinions, and he says, I'm going in one direction, and I'm closing myself in that direction. So obviously the truth is many facets and many sides, but I'm, I'm taking one side. That, that's not a bad thing in itself. Baal Kamta is the second generation of those people who took one side and, and decided the other side was false. The second generation are people for whom they're not a, really, they're not aware, they're not really open to having another perspective. That's the second generation of the people who chose one aspect of the truth or one aspect of reality or one side of, one perspective of looking at things and went for it. And their children or the next generation grow up within that closed environment and they take the truth to be the only truth there is. And they don't know the other the other perspective. We know this in our generations from both sides of the Datichiloni chasm within the Jewish people. How do we know this? So let's start with the the Chiloni side, the secular side. The first secular generation were people who grew up in Yeshivot. They knew a lot of Torah, they knew a lot of Jewish. Uh, wisdom, they knew a lot of Tanakh, they knew a lot of Chazal, they knew a lot of things. But then they lost faith for some reason. It was the age of enlightenment, of Askala, they were drawn to the universities, they were, they felt that Judaism doesn't really contain everything that the modern world is offering. Whatever happened, 
they decided to distance themselves from Judaism. They were the kamta of the secular world. and But they knew, and you can see in their literature and in their poetry and in their speeches and in their will, in their their with their thought that they wrote in their essays, that they knew a lot of Yadut, a lot of Judaism, a lot of Yiddishkeit. They were immersed. They had a an observant father and a grandfather, and they knew a lot of things to know. And then, to their own surprise and dismay, the second, the next generation, and this is increasing the more the generations pass, uh, are people who have no idea what Judaism is all about. And the most famous sentence said by one of the, uh, but a, a famous Israeli politician who was very secular, very left-wing, uh, he was in the, the party of Mapam, which was one of the, the party led by Ben-Gurion, he said a very famous sentence. He said, we wanted to raise a generation of epikorsim, and epikorus in Judaism is someone who knows the Torah, but rebels against it pushes it away. He doesn't want to observe it, but he knows it. It's very hard to find a real epicos because he really needs to know a lot. And But anyway, that's what we wanted. We were secular, we knew the Torah, and we wanted not to observe it. We wanted to raise a whole generation of epicosim that, like us, knew Judaism and rejected it. But we ended up, says this saying, we ended up creating a generation of amei aratzot. Amei aratzot are just ignoramuses are just people who have no idea about Judaism. They know nothing. And of course, he was dismayed by this. He was disappointed. He said, that's not this kind of secular society I wanted to raise. People who just grow up watching American television or, or you know, grow up on Hollywood or on just Western, you know, culture. Not just Hollywood, could be literature, it doesn't matter. But they don't know anything about Judaism. So we wanted to raise a generation of Epikosim and we, and we raised a generation of Amaratzot. So this is a kamtsa, looking at the next generation who are bar kamtsa. The, 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 the sons, bar is a son, right? They're the sons of the kamtsa, they're the next generation, they're really closed up. We see the exact same thing in Baalei Tshuva society. Baalei Tshuva, people who grew up secular and then discover the, the Jewish world. So they grew up with a lot of broad education, they read a lot of books, they know science, they know art, they know about a lot of things. But then they realize it's all really incomparable to the beauty and depth and holiness of the Torah. And, and really they're disappointed with this very sort of very open, open world that's too open, so open, and there's no depth to it, and there's no commitment. And then they become Balei Tshuva, and they start to study Torah, and they raise their children in a Dati, in, in Dati environment, and in, and in Dati schools. But then what happens is to those Balei Tshuva, they suddenly realize that I chose Judaism because I had a lot of, a lot of options and I could re- read and learn about a lot of things. And now my children, I can't recognize them because they, they, they're only into Judaism. They don't know. For them, it goes, it's obvious. That's, what, that's all they know. And so this dynamic of Kamsa and Bal Kamsa repeats itself regardless of what, what we're talking about. So how does this have to do with the story? In our story, this anonymous host loved Kamta, but he didn't love Baal Kamta. Which means, and this is, this is interesting, because the fact that he didn't love Baal Kamta suggests that even the Kamta that he did love was not of his group. Because otherwise, he would have loved the Baal Kamta also. The Kamta was from the opposite group. This host 
thought of himself as loving the other. He loved the Kamtsa, who was his opponent in some ideas, but he was an opponent that he could, he could handle, he could deal with. So he said, I'm, I'm a very open person. I love Kamtsa, who, although he thinks other than me, I'm a very open person. I invite him to my party. But that's, that, that's easy loving Kamtsa. Loving Kamtsa is easy because Kamtsa is open-minded relatively. He's, he consciously closed himself up to one thing, but he's still, he's still, he's still knowledgeable about uh, the other perspective. You can hold a conversation with him. But the Bar Kamtsa, him I can't stand. There's no talking to him. He's so closed up, I, I can't stand him. So I love the other, but only to a certain degree. That's what comes out of the story, according to this interpretation by, by, uh, by Rabbi Shimon Klein. Very, very, very beautiful and interesting. I love the other group. I, I can deal with the other groups as long as they're not extreme. If they're extreme, I can't talk with them, and I'm not inviting them, and I'm pushing them away. But the thing is, the next generation is always more extreme. And the big test is not with the Kamtsa, it's with the Bar Kamtsa. And not only that, because they're extreme, if you push them away, they're going to kick back hard. That's what happens with Bar Kamtsa, the younger one. He says, I'm not invited, I'm pushed out, nobody's letting me in, I'm going to show them, I'm going to show them what, it, what it is to be pushed away. And I'm going to, going to turn to Caesar, I'm going to do crazy things. It's unexpected. Why? Because he wasn't invited. He wasn't included. He wasn't, he wasn't given room. He wasn't given place. So really this story is about, is about learning to really push the boundaries of what it means to listen to the other side. If you're just listening, you know, it's like having, it's like a the tea person, it's like a the tea person who's only willing to speak. So it's, let's go the other way. It's like a Chilani person who's only willing to speak to religious people, the team, if they're, uh, if they're very, very modern or very, very open. But he wouldn't go to speak to the really ultra, the team, right? Or it's like the Dati wanting to speak to the Chiloni who is very open to Judaism, but he wouldn't speak to the, to the far away Chiloni with the tattoos and the whatever uh, that's really far away. No, no, that's, I'd like to, to speak to the, to the Chiloni that's open to the team. That, that's the easy, that's not being a Rodef Shalom. That's being a Ohev Shalom, but not a Rodef Shalom. It's a lover of peace, the peace that comes your way, that peace that's easy to make. But loving the far left or the far right or the far dati or the far chiloni, that's the challenge. That's the real challenge. But it's vital that we do so. It's really vital. Because the people are there at the extreme because they're not listened to. Now this brings us to the other character in this story, which is Shma'aya the servant. Shma'aya, whose name we are given for no reason. It would have made more sense for the host, who's much more of an interesting of an important figure in the story, to, with the, we should have his name, and Shma'aya, who cares about the servant? And also the servant appears, the servant is very confused, because he, he, he was sent to Kamsa, and he went to Baal Kamsa, and he doesn't really pay attention. But we can suggest another explanation, that Shma'aya was very clever, and, or at least subconsciously or superconsciously, it was all, he meant for this to happen. Shma'aya means that he is listening, Shomea, Shma. Right, like the sense of hearing that we want to rectify in Av, and he listens to Yud Hey, 
Yudhei are the two letters that make up the the first half of God's name. One of and it's 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 one of God's names in itself. Shomer Yudke. Yudke is the two the two aspects of godliness, and also it's the two letters that distinguish the words Oyev and Ohev. Oyev and Ohev are, they start with the Aleph Bet that we spoke about, and then we in Ohev you have the Hey, and in Oyev you have the Yud. And Shma'aya says, really what he's saying, consciously or unconsciously, is I want to teach you, my master, to listen to both. You want to listen just to the one you love, and you don't want to listen to the one you don't love. But I am Shma Aya. I listen to the Yud and the He, to the Oyev and the Ohev. And, and that's why he made this mistake. Again, an actual mistake, a providential mistake, it doesn't matter. Shma Aya was the messenger to, uh, to bring about this situation in which not just the loved one was invited, but the hated one was invited, thus challenging his master to listen to the to the one that he hates, that he's used to hating. So, uh, this is the basic the basic story. And what we learn from this is that rectifying the destruction of the temple, because this is a story about the destruction, what caused the destruction, is the is going in the opposite direction. It's not sinat chinam; it's ahavat chinam, which is really honing the art of listening and the art of dialogue. The word Mashiach can also be read as Messiah. Messiah is talking. Someone who's talking, also causing others to speak. From the word Sicha. Sicha is a conversation. Messiah is someone who would come and help us talk to one another and listen to one another. And if, if we want him to come, we need to start practicing. And we need to start showing him that we, we're, we're into this idea of really holding a conversation. You can say that really all of Judaism rests upon the foundation of a dialogue. It starts with the dialogue between God and man, or God and the Jewish people. He gives us the Torah from, from above to below. And then we start learning the Torah and creating the oral Torah from below to above. It actually starts in our parasha, Dvarim, when Moshe is now saying, repeating what he, was, what he learned in the Torah from his own mouth, using his own words. That's where the dialogue begins. And it continues in the entirety of the oral Torah. And then there's the dialogue between the sages within the, the Bet Midrash of the oral Torah. There's Hillel and Shammai and all the couples and all the wise men, all the 70 wise men. And all the different Tanaim and the Moraim, it's a dialogue. You have to listen to both sides. And of course, there's the dialogue between a man and a woman as they get married. And it's all reflected in the two Kuruvim, the two Sherebs, in the Holy in the holy of Holies. And in many ways, all of us are a bit of a Kamta. And it's not bad to be a Kamta. Kamta is, means you have your opinion. You, you, you take a side. You have a perspective. That's okay. You want to listen to all sides, and then you want to take a side, but then you want to continue listening to the other sides and try and make sure that the next generation is not like Bar Kamtsa. And if they do end up like Bar Kamtsa, then you need to invite them and hold them in and listen to them and hear them out and then create this, this intergenerational balance.
And really what happens is the more we go through this dialogue, what does the dialogue do? What does the conversation do? It, uh, it makes our perspective more multifaceted, richer. The more we, everyone has what is called in psychology a confirmation bias. We're biased towards idea that confirm what we believe in. That's an, a, a, a given psychological fact. doesn't matter where you are in the political, sociological, religious spectrum. You have, we all have, a confirmation bias. We like to hear people that, that, that we agree with, and we dislike listening too much to people we disagree with, because it threatens us. A dialogue challenges our confirmation biases and helps us create a more complex, richer, multi-perspective view of things. And a dialogue is something that evolves and continues. And even if you don't reach full agreement, the fact that you make your perspective, that you soften it, that you round it out, that you qualify it, that you're, you're able to contain at least, at least an element of the other person's perspective, that means we're, we've all advanced. And the dialogue can advance. It's not, as, as, it's not like two people shouting at each other. Once you start listening and addressing what the other people is, the other person is saying, and really this is how God Himself and Mashiach Himself are able to be revealed. God is infinite, and His infinite light is reflected in in the very in the in the multitude of perspectives that there are in the world. And the more we listen to other perspectives, and the more we strive to listen to listen in to tune in to the spark of truth that, at the very least, the spark of truth, and possibly more than that, exists in whatever they're saying, then the more we really reveal to our eyes the full nature, the full infinite nature of, of God, of godliness. And so this is our, this is, I think, a good message to enter the month of Av with. And and may we all have a wonderful, good, happy month in which we can diminish and, and make smaller all the animosity between us, the Eva, and, and fight it in our hearts and in our ears to, to love each other more. Hi, if you enjoyed this class, please click the like button and subscribe to the channel. On YouTube, also make sure to click the bell icon. To keep the classes flowing and free of charge, please consider supporting us on Patreon, an amazing platform for supporting independent creators. You're also welcome to join our weekly live Zoom class every Sunday evening, Israel time. You can find all the links in the description below. Thank you very much, keep healthy, and see you soon.